Well, of course, we're celebrating 20 years of New Spring being at our location at K96 and 21st, but we're starting in an interesting place today. I'm in the auditorium where our church resided for at least my first 14 years here at New Spring. Uh, Mary Alice and I, Jonathan and Jared, came here in 1985, and in the building behind me, I think I preached over a thousand sermons, so I'm really flooded with memories today as I step back into this building. I'm, I'm never one to look back very much, but it's good to be back in this building, and Hope Church has been so kind to let us film and shoot here, but as you look around, you can still see the orange pews that were here from the day that I got here. I think orange is back in fashion today, but all the old timers here will know that orange is my least favorite color, and we did everything we could to change a whole lot of that. But just it's just great to come back here and look at where we were and really why we got to a place where we had to think about moving. When I came here in 1985, we averaged about 350 people on a Sunday, and we grew, not by new spring terms, but we grew from 350 to 400, 450 to 500. And back in 1991, I just had a general sense in my heart that God was leading us to go to another place that would be large enough for us to spread out. Now, I don't know that I ever had the dream that we would have between six and 7,000 people on a weekend. But I just had this sense, this leadership of God in my heart and life that he wanted something great for this church. And as I come back here and I look at this building and I look at the campus, I'm reminded of just how great God's vision was for our church. You know, I'm flooded with memories here today that would probably bore many people, but I look back on what God did here in all the years that we spent at this campus. And the one thing that I think all of us would find exciting is that New Spring has always been a story of miracles. You know, not just God's blessing. Definitely God's blessings have been on us as a church, but it was just miracle after miracle after miracle. And so in our service today, we want to talk about some of those miracles, but I thought this would be the perfect place for us to start because really the church began here. One of the questions that I've been asked a lot uh, because I've been here 34 years, a lot of people want to know if I started the church. Well, I didn't. The church started when I was in the fourth grade in Texas in 1964. In fact, outside you can see the first building here. It was a little metal building. And then the worship center that I'm in was built in 1973. And God allowed us to use that all the way until 1999. So having been at our current location for 20 years, we're celebrating today. Certainly, we're celebrating the blessings that God has put upon us and the beauty of our campus and all the opportunities that it affords. But I want to celebrate something so much more. I want to celebrate the miracles that God has done to bring us to this place. For years, people have asked Mary Alice if she ever thought about writing a book. And Mary Alice would say, no, but if I ever did write a book, I would always want to call it, I had a front row seat for all the miracles. Well, that's how I feel today. And we're going to be talking with some New Spring leaders who were part of all these miracles. And for those of you who have come in the last 20 years or the last 20 months or the last 20 weeks, we want to share with you the good things that God has done. In the Psalms, the Bible says, come and let me tell you all the good things that God has done for us. That's what we're doing today as we celebrate 20 years at K96 and 21st Street. Well, good morning. And as much as I want to celebrate that, let me just say, next weekend, we start the biggest series of my career. <clears throat> but it's not just the biggest, it's the way biggest series I've ever done. It's called Clash of Dynasties, and we're going to be looking at Daniel. And so if you want to get ready for that, you might want to read Daniel chapter 1 this week. It's huge. I'm trying to compress six hours of material into 35 minutes each week. So it's, it's just awesome. But uh, one of the things that I don't do very much, as you can sort of tell from my personality if you listen to me speak, is I don't look back very much. I don't celebrate a whole lot because I'm always thinking about the next big thing. But today, I want us to celebrate the good things that God has done, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back or not just so that we can feel a sense of nostalgia. But I want you to understand that this church is a church of miracles. It's what makes New Spring different from so many churches. 
And given the fact that New Spring is such a young church, I'm, I'm at the stage in my life where I'm beginning to think about the future. And one thing I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I'm concerned about this in the next 30, 40 years, if Jesus doesn't come, will the generation to come understand what has made us a different kind of church? Because if we don't know that, we'll lose it. And so today, I wanna take a few moments and share some old stories, but in order to help me, I'd like to invite three good friends up on the stage. Uh, Jonathan is gonna be here, Dan Kubish and Billy Poor. Would you welcome them to the stage, please? While they're coming, let me ask you a question. How many of you were here 20 years ago when we made the move out here? If you were here 20 years ago, would you stand for just a moment and let us see you? Thank you, you may be seated and I can see a few here who are part of very, very special group. How many of you were here when I came 34 years ago? Would you mind standing? Because I see a few of you out there in the audience. If you were here 34 years ago. I always enjoy the good things of God. You know what God does here. But I think sometimes those who were here through the years, when I came or before I came, I think I enjoy it vicariously watching it through your eyes because some of the ones who stood paid a great price and they, they took great risks for the church to be what it is today and they'll always be royalty to me. Well, let me just introduce the people sitting on the stage with me. Uh, direct my direct right. Uh, if you attend New Spring, you know this guy because you hear him speak from time to time. It's my son, Jonathan. Jonathan was three years old when we rolled into New Spring in 1985 and uh, serves as our senior associate pastor to my right. If you volunteer here at New Spring, chances are you know this guy. He is our senior administrative pastor, Dan Kubish, and a lot of things that happen here under his management umbrella. He's a great leader. I met Dan in 1987, and uh, he kind of became a de facto right arm of me here at New Spring and our ministry, and really he I don't know how he survived because he, he wasn't on staff, but he worked as if he were on staff. And then in 1993, he did join our staff and he's been here through the years and he's overseen a lot of ministry. The one person that you might not know is somebody that you really, really need to know. He's very quiet behind the scenes, but just practically everything that you see here ministerially or on our campus has this guy's fingerprints on it. He is my alter ego. He is our executive pastor, Billy Poor. He is a certified genius and just a great man of God. So would you welcome Billy to our stage? <laughs> Billy and his wife, Sherry, came to New Spring in 1991 and Billy became our executive pastor in 2002. But in the years that we were building, Billy's background in building, and I should point out, he was CEO of the company that built the, some, some of the greatest homes in our city and also some commercial, commercial buildings. Billy's knowledge of building has been such a godsend to this church through the years, and so it's a joy to have these guys on the stage with me, and we're, we're just gonna tell three stories, and it, we've already done this three times, and we kind of all talk in, in my office in between because the stories are so wonderful that we're only able just to give a snippet, but I want you to get a sense of the miracles that God did to bring us here. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this week was several, several weeks or maybe a month or so, month or two back, I was driving on K96 and I passed our campus. And I saw our campus from K96 and I thought, you know, if you came to New Spring fairly recently, you might look at that campus and just think we had this magnificent master plan because that's what it feels like. What you wouldn't know is there were so many times that we pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and bet on God and step by step, God led us along. And I wanted you to feel that and know that today. So in order to maybe help you a little bit, we want to share three stories. I think if you want to know um, the first major miracle that God did to help us relocate, I need to tell you this story. Uh, when I came here in 1985, Messiah Baptist Church, as it was in those days, had one thing very, very well, and that is they understood world missions very well, and they did a lot of things globally, but as far as like reaching the community and growth, there was almost a, a not, not 
all the way across the board, but in large part, there was an aversion to growth. And so I remember uh, my predecessor, when I came here, I came in a transition and we were co-pastors for a while. I remember my predecessor reaching out to the board and asking if we could tie on to just one of the educational buildings. Could we just tie on a little wing? And it never got to the point of a vote, but it was pretty clear that they didn't want to do this, and so he let it go. As a really young guy, still in my 20s, I saw that and I thought to myself, wow, if we ever build anything or do anything, it's going to be a challenge. Well, about 1991, as we'd grown a little bit by that time, we grew from 450 to 500 and, and I'd been lead pastor for several years. I remember I was driving back to Wichita with Mary Alice and Jonathan and Jared. They were small at the time. And I just had this sense as I drove to the house of God saying, you've got limited time here and you need to prepare to relocate. But I thought, oh Lord, I don't even think I could talk anybody into building a building and relocation, impossible. So I started thinking about, and I had probably the dumbest idea I've ever had in my life. And guys, there is so much competition for that, that honor. (laughs) But this has got to rank as the dumbest thing I ever decided to do. But you know, here's the thing. If you've ever tried to get halfway to where you need to go, your instincts will tell you you can rationalize that, but it won't be the answer. You know, the, the quotation that I probably hate the most is half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. Because my quote is a whole loaf's better than half a loaf. But in those days, I, I began to think, okay, what if we built on our current site to accommodate the growth that we have. And if that growth came, it would be enough, it would be enough impetus for us to ultimately relocate. Now that was insane on so many levels. First of all, it was crazy because we were going to have to take up about a third of our parking in order to build that building. And people were already parking in Northern Oklahoma. That's hyperbole, but I mean, I'm just saying, we, we, we didn't have parking already. And to take a third of it and put a building up, but I thought that's what we need to do. Well, I was glad to know, we, you know, we formed a committee from our board and we began to discuss building this building. And as we talked about it, thoughts came from the committee that, you know, of course we live in Kansas. So the idea was, well, we need to make sure we have a tornado shelter. So let's build this three-level building and the first level needs to be underground. Okay, sounded pretty good to the committee. And then um, during this time, this is when I got to really meet Billy Poor because Billy was kind of new to our church, but he had a background in building. And so we had asked him if he would just sit in on these meetings and give us advice as we talked through this with the architect. What I learned from Billy later on was Billy knew that building on the site was the craziest idea in the world. And ultimately in a private conversation, we came to that, he let me know what he was really thinking. But in those meetings, you know, Billy, if you ask him a straight question, you'll get a straight answer. And we were asking him questions about that building, so he helped us every way he could. Well, we were, we were talking about it, and finally we got to the point of decision, and the church voted on it, and the church voted that, yes, we're going to build this building, and people were getting excited about it, and we have preliminary drawings about what we were going to be able to do in this building. But deep inside my instinct, in insides, I had this instinct that we were about to do the wrong thing, but I would never let myself admit it. And if it ever bubbled up to the surface, I would say I could never talk the church into relocating. Well, we're now in the middle of 1994, and it was right about the time my son Stephen was born. In fact, it was like the weeks that my son Stephen was born. And we had, I, I had scheduled two conferences, one in Tulsa, one in Washington, D.C. They were back-to-back, and Stephen came early, and so he was actually born right before both of those events. So I went to Tulsa, but on the trip to Washington, D.C., I had three people with me. My son, Jonathan. Jonathan was 12 at the time, and Dan Kubish uh, went with us. And then a guy who was on our board at the time, but he's now a missionary, Jess Looper. So there were four of us. We went to Washington, D.C., and so I spoke several days up there, uh, some mornings, but every night. And on the last night of the conference, we were having dinner with some of the staff at the church there. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but sometimes you'll just be in a conversation with someone, and someone will say something, and God will just seize on that to give you a message. And I remember that night at dinner, one of the staff said something, and I just was overwhelmed with this knowledge. I mean, it was like God just tattooed it on my soul. It was as if God said, if you build that building, you will never be able to leave. You will be there forever. And when it hit me, it was just too overwhelming. 
And I didn't know what to do. And so we, after dinner was over, uh, we went back to the hotel. And uh, Jonathan, like I say, he was 12 years old. He was with me. And, and watching what God is doing in his life today, I'm so thankful that Jonathan was in that room because now I have to pray and ask God to stop something I don't know how to stop. And so at this moment, I'll, I'll pass it to Jonathan. Well, you, you have to know something about my dad on, on a personal level. If you know him personally, you know he's sort of like a walking antidepressant. And uh, so if I ever have bad news or something bad happens to me, I always pick up the phone and call my dad because by the time I get off the phone, I'm going to think whatever it is is a good thing, you know. And, and so when you see my dad really depressed, you should probably just find shelter, like they say on the news when it's a tornado. Something bad, really, really bad is getting ready to happen. And uh, I saw he was just tremendously depressed. And uh, my recollection, I've slept a few times since, and my recollection is down a little bit. But I do recall Dad being in a really bad frame of mind and wanting to pray about it. And the thing that I recall is that you really felt like we were in the middle of something that had a lot of inertia and it was going to be really difficult to do anything about it. That's true. And, and again, I, just one of my most precious memories is I can still see at the Hampton Inn there in Fairfax, Virginia, <laughs> Jonathan and I knelt beside one of the beds and both of us prayed and I remember praying, God, we're about to do the wrong thing and I don't know how to stop it. I just didn't have the chips, I thought, to stop it. I mean, today, if I felt like we were on a course and it was the wrong course, we need to change courses, I'd just come right out and tell you because that's the church that we are today. But that was a very different time. I was, I was in my early 30s and uh, I just knew that well, especially after I led the church to think about building a building, what am I going to say? It's the wrong thing to do. Let's change courses. Let's relocate. But uh, anyway, we prayed about that. And on the way home, flight home, we were, all four of us were sitting together. We kind of chatted about possibilities, but I still didn't know what to do. I knew we were about to do the wrong thing, and I didn't know how to stop it. Well, we landed at Mid-Continent again. You know, Stephen was born like two weeks before, and I've been on the road for 10 of those days. And Mary Alice picked me up. And she desperately just wanted me to get home and spend some time and rest and, and all that and just sort of let my soul get back into my body. But she heard me say the one thing that she hated the most in those days, and that was, take me by the church, I want to get my mail. Now, in those days, mail was paper, and it had like a little envelope and so um, I said, I'll take you by the office. I want to get my mail. So we, we drove up and, and we drove up to this, to the front of the church. And in those days we had this massive rock. Now, when I came to New Spring 34 years ago, there were two answers I never could seem to get. One was where do we get our name? Because nobody knew. And then secondly, I always want to know where that huge rock came from and why we had it. Nobody knew. It was just sitting out there on a pedestal. And there were all kinds of theories about what that rock was about. And the best one was the rock represents Christ. But then it split right down the middle and we had to let go of that. So we just... <laughs> so I pulled up right in front of the rock and our architect was there. And I mean, he was glum. His face was on the pavement, basically. He was looking down. And when I got out of the van, he said, Pastor, we have the worst possible news. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, you know, he said, we're, we're, we're deep along drawing the plans. He said, before I got started, I should have done bore samplings, but I didn't do bore samples. And he said, I've discovered we've got water at 12 feet and we're not going to be able to build the building as planned. I said, don't worry about it. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> and he looked like, he looked at me like I'd been smoking something. <laughs> And he, you know, he, I think he said, what's that again? I said, it's not a problem at all. Don't worry about it. And I knew at that moment that God had heard our prayer. When I said, God, we're about to do the wrong thing, and I don't know how to stop it. Well, I did something at that moment. Dan, um, I called Dan, and it, it is a miracle on so many levels that Dan is still my friend because I've asked him to do some really, really crazy things. But you got to realize, I got to think now about how do I talk to our board? I don't want to just go to a stale room in our building and say, we've been on the wrong track. We need a new vision. And I was trying to think about how do we handle this meeting? And Billy at this time had talked to us about some parcels of land. He knew I was interested out in the Northeast side. And he, he talked about a parcel of land at that time that was open at 143rd and Central. 
And so I reached out to Dan and asked him one of the craziest things I've ever asked him. And I promise you, the fact that he's still my friend after this day is a miracle of God and his grace. Dan, tell about what happened next. Yeah, Mark called me up and said, hey, uh, Dan, if you don't mind, at that time we had a, a board of eight trustees and eight deacons. And he said, can you call those 16 guys and just tell them that I would like to meet with them and Billy at this piece of ground, uh, you know, out northeast side of Wichita. And I said, sure, you know. And, uh, and so I started calling. The first one, I remember, they had 30 questions. Why are we meeting there? We've already decided to build the building. Why did, Mar you know, and I said, hey, if you just come, Mark just wants to meet with you. And finally got through all 16. But it was, it was, uh, it'd be like you hearing today, hey, next week we're going to move to Ponca City. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was like, what? Uh, it was just a shock to them. But the thing that I remember the most is, even though that was a little bit uncomfortable for me, uh, just the peace of God that was in it, because I knew Mark was for sure, without a doubt, knowing that God was leading us to a new location. And so it was fun. Even though it was kind of nerve-wracking, Mark, it was still fun to make those conversations with those people and get them to come out to the property. And Billy had plans out there, out on the hood of his truck. And Mark just said, hey, guys, I think God is telling us to move. And uh, that, was, that was history in the making. Well, you know, what was, I, I, looking back, it was crazy uh, to even do that. I mean, these guys had no idea what they were coming out there for. And even though that wasn't the land, and I knew it wasn't the land ultimately, there was something about getting that view, that look of maybe we would be able to spread out. And it was like God just sort of opened, opened our hearts to that. And from that moment on, we began to actually talk about relocation. But I need to let you know this. There was only one place I was really interested in locating to. And that started in my heart in 1991. Um, in those days, there was no expressway out here. Um, and, and I used to do a lot of funerals at Lakeview in the, in the day. And that was about, Lakeview was about the only thing out here then. So if I had a funeral at Lakeview, I had to get on 13th Street and drive forever. But there was a bridge right before you got to, 13th, uh, got to Lakeview, which is where the bridge still is now. If you think about the 13th and 96th corner, there's a bridge, of course, that goes over the overpass, over the expressway. No expressway then, but there was a bridge. So as I was crossing that bridge, I looked out my window and I saw a huge pipe on the ground. And so I asked a friend who was in city planning, I said, hey, what's going on out there at 13th Street by Lakeview? He said, oh, pastor. There's going to be an expressway that's going to belt the northeast quadrant of the city. Which it, I came to Wichita in 1985, and I love this city with all my heart. It, it was kind of static in those days. But from the moment I knew there was going to be this expressway, I knew it was going to change everything. And I had in my heart, and I think God placed it there. I just had in my heart, I want to be on the expressway, and I'd like to be at the corner of a main artery in the expressway. So, and... and after we had this meeting with the guys and we talked about relocation and it kind of got to be, well, that's, that's the general direction that we're going to head in. I went to our board and I asked them to set me a number that I could negotiate for land for, a cap, not to, not, not to exceed figure. We probably had eight, nine hundred thousand $900,000 in the bank that had been our nest egg for years. And I didn't know that much about what it was going to take to relocate. But I did know that we were going to have to have pretty substantial funds to begin construction with. So I didn't want to spend all of our money on land. So I just pulled the number out at $300,000. So I asked the board, would you allow me to go out to negotiate and set a cap of $300,000? And the board said, let's do that. That's fine. So they voted for that. And, and it's really important because the story I'm about to tell you is the biggest story of all. And it was sort of the story I'm about to tell you now is the capstone of, of really how we were able to, to relocate. I want you to hear this miracle. Um, when I started looking for land out along the expressway, uh, and then you got to realize, if I'm not mistaken, the expressway might have been finished, but for a long time it stopped at Webb Road, and that was the end of it. So I was going out to look at land. But what I quickly discovered was that everybody else saw what I saw, that once this expressway was finalized, it, it, was, going to, it was going to really happen out here. One major factor, though, from 13th Street South, the land was priced by the acre. North of 13th Street, it was priced by the square foot. Now, I don't know a lot much about real estate, 
I was born at night, but not last night. And one thing I realized is once it started being priced by the square foot, we were really out of the game. The reason why the difference was in those days, there weren't utility services completed south of 13th Street along the expressway. We were, if we had bought land out there, we were gonna have to put in a lagoon. So in any event, we were looking for land and I had this $300,000 cap. And so we actually found a parcel of land south of here. And the owner had said, yes, I will sell you land for $300,000, but there's one caveat and it's this. There is an option on that land. Now, I, don't, I don't think the people who have that option are gonna be able to execute it, but there is an option. And as soon as that option ends, then I'll sell you the land for $300,000. So we're in a waiting game, waiting for this option to expire. I can't remember how many months it was, but all this time we were waiting. When it expired, I thought we're good to go. Then I found out there was like a 60-day period. Then after that, there was like a 30-day period. So all this time I'm thinking we have our land, but we couldn't quite get there. I never will forget the day or two before the option was to end. I was in Tennessee speaking, and uh, Billy called me with some really bad news. He said, Mark, uh, you and I have never had any secrets from each other, and I don't want to wait till you get home for you to find this out. But the people who had the option executed the option. We've lost our land. So now we're back at square one, and I was just really depressed. I should tell you that all this time, We'd be driving up and down 21st Street, and we would see what was clearly the greatest parcel of land on K96, this corner. And Mary Alice would say to me, what about that land? And I would tell her, you know absolutely nothing about real estate. <laughs> because I said, if you did, you would know two things. Number one, it's not for sale. And number two, if it was for sale, it would be in the millions and millions of dollars. It's just, it's not possible. Should tell you this, we have brought in an expert to analyze our situation. And all of you in business know what it takes to be an expert. You have to carry a fancy leather briefcase and go 300 miles away from where you live. And then you become an instant expert. But we did bring this expert in and he said, after analyzing our situation, you guys need a minimum of 15 acres and a maximum <clears throat> of 25, <clears throat> maximum of 25 acres. So I knew I was working with that. Well, I don't even exactly remember why, but on a particular Sunday morning, I was just in the hallway of our old campus and a businessman who was a member of the Kiwanis or one of the business uh, clubs had been to a luncheon and he had run into the guy who handled the land investments of the owners of this piece of property. And he just kind of said out of the blue, hey, I met this guy. And he said, I got his number if you're interested in calling him. So I called this representative and I said, hi, I'm Mark Hoover, Pastor Messiah Baptist Church, and we're interested in that land out there at K96 and 21st Street. I know it's not for sale, but uh, I'm interested. He said, well, hey, if you've got an offer for me, you give it to me, and I'll take it to the owner. Well, that sounded promising. So I'm thinking, okay, I got $300,000 cap, 25 acres. I'm going to start off by offering him $10,000 an acre. Now, I know that was insane. But I said, I want the corner, and I'll pay you $10,000 an acre, and I want 25 acres. Instantly, I'm thinking I can go up to 300,000, I can go down to 15 acres. But it just started there as a negotiation. There's a pause, he said, well, I'll present that to the owner. And to my utter amazement, he called me back in a few hours and said, I have presented this to the owners at 25 acres on the corner of K96 and 21st Street for $10,000 an acre, $250,000. I was the most excited I'd ever been, I think, in my life after Mary Ellen said yes. You know, I mean, I just, I, I was so excited about that. And I called Dan, called Billy, and I said, wow, we've got our land. Now, you have to understand, because if you know K96 as it appears now, you just don't know the way it looked in 1995. Uh, I know we've got a shot from 1997 yeah, no, of the building. That's three years later, so take a look at the expressway, okay? So it's pretty well empty, but... Everybody else saw what I saw, and the land had either been purchased by speculators, it had been uh, optioned for people that were looking for future development, or it was in the hands of brokerage companies. So there were a lot of people on the sidelines waiting to see what happened before they jumped in and made an offer. Well, when the word got out on the street that the K96 and 21st Street parcel was about to be sold, a lot of people jumped in off the sidelines and started making huge offers in the millions of dollars. Well, 
I, and I knew some of the people who were offering. I knew what they were offering it for. And I get it. Here, here's the thing. I had already signed my half of the contract. And the agent had gone up to Hutchison to get the owners to sign the other half. And I never will, will forget the phone call I got from the agent that afternoon. He said, Pastor, you know what's happening out there. You know the offers that are being given. And he said, I need to let you know the owners have rescinded their agreement, the verbal agreement with you. Well, my depression just hit the floor. But I wasn't just depressed, I was angry. I felt like we had a, and part of that anger was just the disappointment I felt. I, I was so angry. At that moment, I'd never talked to the owner. So I said to the, to the representative, I said, give me the phone number of that owner. I want to call and talk to him. And I had every intention of telling him what a dirty dog he was for <laughs> reneging on this deal. And, and this is funny because there are a lot of things I have in my memory. In, in those days, I talked about orange. We had orange shag carpeting, and my office was done with the carpet coming up about three feet from the floor. <laughs> and I had this massive, ostentatious desk that I hated, and so I didn't like working behind it. So I went across and got a rocker from the nursery, and I put it by the corner of my desk, and I kept my phone there. And that's how I worked for years. So I can still see this moment. I'm sitting in that rocker, and I have the phone, and I'm dialing the number of the owner. And just before his voice comes on the line, I feel the Holy not literally, I feel the Holy Spirit put his hand in my chest and say, that's not the way to handle this. I hate it when he does that. And I heard his voice come on the line. I called him my name. And I said, you need to understand something. My name is Mark Coover. I passed the church that tried to buy your land. You need to understand that I'm not going out there to build a factory. I'm not going out there to build a shopping center. I knew who was making offers on the land. I said, I want to go out there and build a church. And we will never recoup our investment. We're not going to go out there and make money. This is an investment. And I said... There's one thing you need to know, what I care about, and I don't know who this guy is, I don't know what his spiritual situation, but I mean, I, I just said the one thing I care about is that God gets the glory. I said, if God wants one of those companies that's bidding for the land, if God wants one of those companies to have the land, I want them to have it. That was not strictly true. <laughs> Sometimes if you don't have faith, just act like you have faith. The Holy Spirit has already told me my way of doing things is wrong. So I thought, well, let's try it his way. So I said, all right, if God wants one of those companies to have it, I want them to have it. But if God wants us to have it, I want us to have the land. But all I care about is that God gets the glory. And that was our conversation. Probably lasted two minutes or less. Hung the phone up, and as God is my witness, I said, well, we've lost our land, but we've kept our testimony. That was Thursday afternoon sometime. Friday afternoon is 3 o'clock. I'm driving to Derby to make a visit. And you remember in those days, guys and gals, we used to have our phones installed in our cars on a pedestal, you know? The phone rings in my car, and I pick it up, and it's this agent. I never expected to hear from him again. I thought it was all finished. The agent said, you know, Pastor, he said, I was just talking with the owner. Called him by name. So I was just talking uh, with the owner, and he said, uh, he likes you. And I thought, well, I'm a likable guy. He said, no, he said, he's, he's really kind of a quiet guy. He said, I've handled his investments for 25 years. I'm not even sure he likes me. <laughs> but he said, you know, I just got off the phone with him, and he told me that Baptist pastor is the nicest guy I ever talked to. He said, preacher, it's up to, up to you. But he said, if I were you, I'd make that man an offer. He said, there's only one thing. And again, I keep thinking about God knew the future. At this moment, I, I thought it was the worst possible thing. I don't know what we would have done without this next moment. There's one thing, he won't sell you less than 40 acres. He doesn't want to bust up his quarter section. Well, work with me. I got a problem, don't I? I've already offered him $10,000 an acre. And now there's 40 acres. And I don't have $400,000 to bandy about. Now, I can call our board together that night, and I felt sure they would approve it or go up to a million or whatever we had to do to even just stay in the game. But at that moment, I can't offer anything more because I got a $300,000 cap that I asked the board to set. So I'm thinking while I'm driving, and I said, okay, here's my offer. You tell the owner, we will pay him $10,000 an acre for 30 acres. And I want him to give us the other 10. 
and he did what you're doing. He said, Pastor, that's crazy. He said, you know, you know what's being offered. I said, yeah, but that's, that's my offer. 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and I want him to give us the other 10. And I remember his exact words at that moment. He said, well, I'm bound by law to present any offer. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Saturday night, it's after 11, Marianne and I are in bed. I'm already starting to doze off when the phone rings. And I pick up the phone, and it's this agent who, by the way, he's a believer. And he was crying. And he said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He says, I'm sitting here, and he named the owners, husband and wife. And he said, I've got a signed contract for 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and they're going to give you the other 10. Well, it takes, with commercial real estate, it takes about uh, 45 days to have the EPA study and title search, at least it did back then. And all during that 45 days, I was chewing my fingernails down to the elbows because you just had to know how disappointed I'd been. But finally, the day came for the closing. And I was there. I think Dan was there. Some other members of our, our board were there. And then the title agent and then the two chairs where the owners would sit. I'd never seen them. I'd only had that two-minute conversation with the owners. And this husband and wife walked in, elderly couple. And we didn't say much, just exchanged brief pleasantry and a handshake. But that's about it. So if you've ever like gotten a mortgage, you've ever bought real estate like that, you know that what happens is you've got the title agent, then the seller has all the paper in his or her stack. And then piece by piece, that person signs and then I sign. I waited until all the papers were in my stack and the land was safely ours. <laughs> and I looked down and I said, I called him by name. I said, I have to ask you a question. Why did you do this deal with us? So when you're getting all those million plus dollar offers. Why didn't you take one of those offers? What happened next is very special to me. He raised his hands. I didn't know he was a believer till that moment. He raised his hands and said, I tried. But every time I tried to take one of those offers, I couldn't get Mark's voice out of my ears saying, all I care about is that God gets the glory. Do you think I didn't think about that moment where I almost called and told him what a dirty dog I thought he was <laughs> before the Holy Spirit stopped me? Well, that land really became, as I said, the capstone of everything that happened because, as Billy will share with you in a moment, the idea of us having the money to relocate was just insane because we, at that time, we were a church of about 500 people. And it was so impossible on so many levels. But the land was so important. I never will forget the first meeting I had with the owner of the bank that we, norm that we ultimately did business with in those days. I didn't know if they would loan us the money that we needed for the building or if they would even loan us part of it. So we, we, just, we just didn't know. And I, I remember setting a Piccadilly, cafe, uh, Piccadilly restaurant over at Central and Rock. And uh, I, I sat down and told him kind of what I thought we were, we were doing. And, and he started tapping his teeth with his pen as he was thinking. And after a few minutes, he just threw the pen down on the table. And he said, I want to tell you two things. He said, number one, you can, have, you can have all the money that you need to do this. Number two, he said, you're building too small. But I'll never forget, he said, we could bulldoze all your buildings and the land would be worth more anyway. You see, God used that to get us started. Well, as I said, we'd had to push all the chips to the middle of the table just to get to that place, but now we've got this thing on our hands where we have to think about building out here and the money's just not there. In fact, the money's not anywhere close to being there. At this point, Billy was building committee chair, and so I'd like for Billy to just kind of talk about the, the dawning task we faced at starting construction. So we did have the land. Um, but not a lot of cash. And uh, so we decided, I think somewhere in 1996, we were going to try to make the build. And uh, so we started, uh, started those processes. And uh, I, I told Mark, it took about 10 miracles in a row, but that first one Mark's talking about, that was the, 
that really was the leverage because it leveraged everything. So we had land that was way more, worth a lot more, so we were never leveraged anything we did, so that helped. But there was just, uh, we were short, short what it was gonna take to build, and we had to sell the old location, we had to sell a parsonage, we had to get utilities here, just things just stacked up. So we were way over our heads, no doubt about it. Uh, but it seemed like every time we'd come up to the next roadblock, God would just move it out of the way and we could move on. And that's what we did. We just kept taking a step at a time. But it was, there's not enough time to go into the details of all those. And they're all amazing. But there was one that always kind of sticks in my head was we had to sell the old location and it had to close because it was a substantial amount of money in order to be able to afford this. We had to have that money. And it actually did not close until the week of the May 23rd, 1999. It didn't close till that week. So it came that close that we had to have that cash. So that's, that was, that's what sticks in my mind about another miracle. We had our first service scheduled here we closed on the sale of the old property on Monday. We closed on the loan for the new property on Tuesday. Can you imagine that? So it was just incredible. I, I think in that series, in that season, there's one conversation that Billy and I had that um, there are things that are, we talk, Billy and I talk about this. There are things that happened that were so precarious, we're scared to look back on it because we were, we were just taking such huge risks. But, um, you know, when we, when we thought we knew what the building was going to cost, uh, we had we had presumed, and we had let out the drawings uh, for bid five construction companies. We'd actually rank them according to their quality, which we felt was the best builder. And to our to our blessing, the company we had ranked as the highest quality actually came in with the low bid. That's the good news. The bad news was that the bid, all the bids were substantially more than we had ever imagined. We thought that the bids would come in like four million something, but the bids actually came in at six million something. And four million something was gonna be a huge enough risk. We just had a meeting with the building committee and we sat around in shock when we saw that. And there was just this sense among the committee that we weren't ready to go forward and that we would just have to sit and wait till we raised the money to be able to build. And I think in those days, I need to let you know that although there were probably 10, 15% of our people that really strongly wanted to relocate, that's about it. So there wasn't this huge impetus or this huge push to relocate. In fact, it was, those were some difficult years. But that's, that's something else that the Lord brought us through. But anyway, after we realized we were $2 million away, there was about 24 hours where I was in complete depression. Then I got a phone call from Billy. I can remember where I was. I was on K96. We used to live in Bel Air at that time. And I was driving home about 10.30 at night. And I get this call from Billy. And Billy said, in the last 24 hours, he said, I've been value engineering the building. And he said, I've cut about a million dollars out. Still a million more than we thought we could even possibly do. But he said, I've cut about a million dollars out. And he said, you know, we're at the place on this project where we're going to have to pull the trigger. And he said, if we pull the trigger, there's no going back. That's what I remember so clearly. He said, we're having to put our old campus at risk. And he said, if, he said about 10 things have to work out perfectly. And he said, here's the thing. If they don't work out, we don't have any home to go back to, and we don't have any home to go to. I think I thought about that for about 20 seconds. But you know, here's the thing. God had done so many miracles at that point. As incredible as this sounds, I just had a sense he wasn't going to bring us that far to leave us. And I remember saying to him after about 20 seconds, let's pull the trigger. And thankfully, God took care of everything and brought us all the way here. 20, May 23rd, 1999, we had our first service out here. And in these succeeding years, God has grown brought about what you know of as New Spring Church. But I, here's the thing I want you to understand, and especially those of you who are younger at New Spring, you're gonna, in your generation, you're gonna hear all the experts tell you about what a church is, what a church isn't, what it, how it grows, what it's supposed to do, what it's not supposed to do. You can't listen to that or else you'll lose what God is doing here. There's only one way to have a great church, and that is to let God lead and to do what God says do.
In my 34 years, I've been threatened so many times by people that wanted political power or wanted their way in the church. You know, we like this, we don't like that. I couldn't give a rip about any of that. The question is, what does God want? And as long as we keep that in mind, I think God will continue to bless New Spring. But it's been a series of miracles, and we could sit up here for six hours and keep you uh, telling you what God has done. But I wanted you to hear those three stories. But I need to let you know that I've been wrong about something else. When we finish the nursery complex, I have said to anybody who would listen to me, that is the last building we will build on this campus. I was wrong. Dan, would you take a moment to talk now sure. about the future? Yes. Uh, you know, on an average Sunday, we have about 250 fourth and fifth graders uh, that make New Spring their home on a weekend. And uh, for, because of uh, space constraints, we put the fifth graders up uh, with middle schoolers. So our middle school environment is fifth through eighth grade. And we really want the fifth graders uh, and the fourth graders to have a space of their own so they can learn at their level and, and be engaged at their level. And so uh, with uh, Mark and Billy's help, uh, hopefully in a year, uh, we'll have a brand new space for fourth and fifth graders. It'll be out uh, north, uh, the north entrance back there, and we're super excited about it. Uh, and uh, Billy, uh, we can throw that drone picture, Sam, if you want to. If you want to see what the complex looks like uh, right now, that's our uh, that's our complex. But Billy, uh, tell them what to expect over the next year. A mess. <laughs> 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 no, we'll try to do our best, but hopefully a year from now we'll have it done and it'll take care of a couple other issues we have and I think it's going to be a really good thing. I, everybody asked me, do I, so I came from the building business and they asked me, do I miss building? I said, what are you talking about? I saw it been <laughs> over 20 years. <laughs> so we're going to do it one more time, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, we're so blessed that God has been here all this time and we're blessed that you're here. And so now it's our turn. We're at, this generation is standing at bat and it's our time to do what God is calling us to do for this season, whatever it is. And so, you know, again, <laughs> it's hard to believe 34 years has gone by because it's been the love of a lifetime. I love this city, I love this church. And Mary Alice and I have had the greatest time being able to serve here. And I pray that if God gives me health and strength, I can be here for a long time to come. But you know, from time to time when I'm conducting seminars or I'm teaching leaders or just talking to other pastors around the country, sometimes young pastors will ask me, Mark, what did you discover in all this journey? And there's a lot of things I could, I could say to answer that, but there's a song that's new to New Spring and it's gonna become part of our worship here in the future. I would just tell you this, I knew God was big, but he was way bigger than I ever thought. God is bigger. So as we just close the service today, would you celebrate with our worship team as they come to sing that in a song that God is bigger than we ever dreamed?